0: To be in the house of the Lord, worshiping the living God. He is not dead, God is alive. Amen? Amen? All right, this morning we are going to continue our series on relationships. Last week my husband shared on relationships within the body of Christ with our brothers and sisters. Um, If you were here for it, if you were not here for it, I strongly encourage you to take the time to listen. One of the things he talked about is found in 1 John 4 20 anyone says i love god and hates his brother he is a liar for he does not lo- he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love god whom he has seen in other words who he has not seen in other words i can't say i have a right relationship with god if my relationship with you isn't right amen if you want to be right with god Again, if you haven't listened to that message, please go online. Um, It's probably on YouTube, Facebook, or on our website. Um, Please visit Watch It Be Transformed by the Word of God. Amen. So today we're going to continue. of us have been blessed by authority, while others have been hurt by authority. And so this morning, I believe God wants to encourage us that he is the ultimate authority. Amen? Over all things, he is authority. He loves authority. He has established authority, and he has put it in place for our good. But he also knows man's sinful heart. And for those who have been hurt by authority, he wants you to know that he cares, and he desires to perspective to us about what it should look like. So wherever you may land today, I pray we open our hearts to receive God's word and allow his truth to bring healing to our lives, to renew our minds and to transform our hearts. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. We thank you, Father, for who you are. We love you and we worship you. We thank you, Father God, that you are the ultimate authority, Father God, and a Father God, we pray that you would open our hearts right now. Father, let us receive your word, whatever it is you want to say, whatever it is you want to speak to us. Father, we ask, speak to us. We pray that you would renew our minds, Father God. We pray that you would replace old thoughts with know God is the ultimate authority as he is the creator of all things. Genesis tells us he created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. God created human beings in his own image, male and female, he created them. And so as creator and giver of life, he is the ultimate authority. And especially as his sons and daughters, he is our ultimate authority. Now we know throughout history, That God has established all authorities on earth. Throughout the Old Testament we read the stories of kings and rulers as well as godly authorities set over the people. We read of godly kings and evil kings. We read of the prophets and the judges over God's people. They were all authorities God placed on the earth. We learn as we read God's word After that. one would see this from the surface and think what a horrible father that he would allow his son to be accused of lies taken into custody by the very authorities he established to be abused and killed for things he never committed in the natural we would say what an evil or inadequate father in the natural but we know the full story now don't we while Not be able to wrap your mind around it. You might question every step, every action, every decision that led to that unjust moment at the cross, as his blood drained from his body, watching his final breaths. You might think, God, what did you do? Why did you allow this? The Savior of the world to be put to death, as his body was taken down. Perhaps. producing. With each moment where in the natural Jesus may have looked weaker, he was actually growing stronger. With every moment of submission and surrender, Jesus gained trust and dependency in the Father, direction and divine wisdom and power. You see, it actually takes great strength to submit. It takes an unreal amount of strength to lay down your life, to lay down your rights, to put aside your own thoughts, your own way, your own desires, and put that of another's before your own. Jesus laid down his thoughts, his ideas, his desires, his rights, his life. and doubt God and say no, because though in the natural, it simply did not make sense. Though in the natural, it looked like the irresponsible and unloving leading of a father, even though in the natural, it looked like the savior of the world had been defeated and are two words where it can be very easy to the moment we hear them put up our walls. To humble yourself and to submit to others goes so much against the grain, against culture, against our very own desires, which is why so often we rebel against it. Our sinful nature wants its own way, whether we believe we are right or whether we want to ourselves, our desires, our wants first, all because ultimately we just don't trust God as much as we trust ourselves. We want to take control and rebel against authority because we want to be our own authority and therefore sinning against God. Let's look at what the Bible says about walking under 13, we're going to start at verse 1. It says, Let every person be subject to the government, governing authorities, for there is no other authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor. direction as guidance, wisdom, and counsel. It is given to develop character qualities in our lives, character qualities such as truthfulness, obedience, dependability, orderliness, diligence, faithfulness, reverence, loyalty, patience, forgiveness, responsibility. Do what is right, for the one who does good does not need to fear. You want a good conscience? To all what is owed, it says. If you have debt, pay it. Give respect to whom respect is owed, and give honor to whom honor is owed. Oof. Who exactly is it that we are to respect and honor? Let me just take a moment to share with you what I've always shared with the youth, the youth that are here. They have heard me say this. Working with you since I was 19 years old, I can't help but notice how disrespect has only increased year after year, decade after decade. I see people shaking their heads in agreement. It's unfathomable. But here's the reality. Are you ready? Our children are so disrespectful because it's what they have learned. It is what has been modeled to them. I'm sorry to say that if there are youth disrespecting each other and disrespecting adults, so often it's because that's what they are seeing adults each other they see how we treat people we don't like the things they that we say behind their back they see how they see and they hear how we respond to someone who has hurt us who has offended us wronged us or how we respond to someone we feel has disrespected us I'll never forget how about 10 15 years ago I started first started noticing it was probably It's to see how our leaders were being made fun of and were disrespected on national television by night show hosts or other hosts. I don't remember who was the president at the time, and it really doesn't matter, because whether we like them or not, we're supposed to be praying for them, right? Amen. Let me just say, say that if you don't like someone, whether a brother or sister or a leader, so much that you can't pray for them, you actually hate them, Sinning because we know that to God, hate is just like murder. Take care, brothers and sisters, that we don't like someone so much that we don't obey God and pray for them and therefore sin ourselves. I can't tell you how much, especially over the last years, people who profess to love God so evidently demonstrated a strong dislike and even hate for those in leadership. What does the Bible say? about our enemies. Love our enemies. (laughs) Simply because you do not agree with someone does not mean you can disrespect them. Simply because you feel or you believe someone is wrong does not justify your disrespect. Simply because someone has wronged you, offended you, or maybe even sinned against you does not warrant your disrespect, much less a sinful response. I have so many times seen in response to sin, to sin, sin response to, respond to sin. What I mean is, someone does something wrong, and then they do something wrong in return. I don't know if they realize, but we are no longer under the law of an eye for an eye. And those days are over, right? We are now under the covenant of grace. And thank the Lord for that, or we would be on a straight path to hell, for we know that none of us could fulfill the law. So don't try to hold the law eye for an eye unless you can fulfill the law, which we already know we cannot, or you will be judged by the law. So it is not okay to sin in response to sin. If someone wrongs you, it is not okay to talk about them or what they did to anyone else because that would be gossip, and that is sin. If someone steals from you, it is not okay to steal it back or steal something back. That is sin. That's why we must pay our taxes even if we find them unfair. Otherwise, we become thieves ourselves. Did I just say that? (laughs) If someone hurts you, you cannot hurt them back because it is sin. If someone hates you, you cannot hate them back. You must love them and pray for them and help them when they are in need for by doing so, we are burning coals on their heads. Back to respect and honor Disagreeing with someone, believing they are wrong, mistaken, or simply because they do not think like you think, does not justify your disrespect or dishonor. Respect and honor is given because every man and woman is made in the image of God. And every time you dishonor and disrespect a person, you are dishonoring and disrespecting not easy to walk in humility, to walk in submission, to give respect and honor in a world culture that says humility is weakness, a culture that says submission is degrading and unjust, that says respect is earned if you look like me and think like me and act like me. You see, you see how the devil, the enemy of our souls, has distorted and corrupted the truth of God's word? how he has completely made the opposite of God's word our culture's truth. God says, put on humility. The world says, put yourself first before all others, your needs, your wants. It says, your truth, your beliefs, and your heart will tell you what is right. No, the heart is deceitful, the Bible says. All truth and all you need, you'll find within yourself. No, brothers and sisters, that is pride. That is the very opposite of humility, which is a command of God to put on humility. God says, submit to one another and to authority. The world says, rebel, do not yield, do not yield your rights, your thoughts, disobey, disrespect, and dishonor anyone you do not like, does not agree with you, or does not condone that which you want to do. Brothers and sisters, this is rebellion. This is defiance and disobedience devil hates authority. Let me just say that again. The devil hates authority because he himself rebelled against authority and he wanted to take the place of of his authority. You see, he wanted to become God and receive all the worship, all the honor and all the praise. He rebelled against his authority. He did not submit to his authority. Therefore, he was kicked out of the heavenly of him to want to share. He wants the same for you and I. He doesn't want you under the protection, the provision, the guidance, the wisdom that comes with authority, nor does he want you to develop character. He doesn't want you to submit and be trained, refined, and shaped to be like Christ. He doesn't want you to submit and therefore walk in obedience so that your life may produce good fruit and inherit the blessings of God. Like him, he wants you to forfeit it all. So he deceives us by making us think that humility and submission is weakness and that you can do it better by being your own authority, by being your own God. What are those blessings the enemy wants to rob you of? Ephesians 6, and I'm only going to name a few. There's so many more. You can read them in the Bible. Ephesians 6, 1-3 says, and kids, I'm not picking on you, but it's just the first one that came up. Children, obey your parents so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life. Colossians 3.20, it pleases God. It brings delight to God when we submit and obey. We avoid things like fear, condemnation, punishment. We maintain a good conscience. We'll walk in protection and guidance. We'll gain wisdom and discernment. God's plan and purpose through authority and when we submit to it what it yields I pray you do for it is designed for our well-being our growth and character development it's all part of God's plan to make us more like him do you want to be more like him this morning about five or six of us do you want to be like him (laughs) amen must humble ourselves and submit, allowing this process to shape us and make us and mold us like Christ. Now we have to remember that submission is not a weakness or a negative word. Submission involves Ultimately, when we submit to someone in authority, we are submitting to God. Now, while submission to authority is a command of God, we have to remember again that it is voluntary by the person doing the submitting, and it should not be something. filled with instruction for leaders. We know that if we want to be a good leader, we must first be a good servant, right? We must be a good servant first. We know um, they must be trustworthy and honest. We know they must be humble and walk in good counsel. I'm saying these things because there are times we read in the Bible where we see people of God submitting to the authorities of the land, but at some point, to an end. When does submission rightly come to an end? Submission comes to an end when we are asked to disobey God and his commands according to his word. Remember the disciples when they were facing persecution and being told not to preach in the name of Jesus? What did they say? We will obey God not man. It ends when we are asked When manipulation and control are exercised by a leader, not allowing those under them to have the freedom to make choices in regards to their own personal lives, those under authority may need to consider whether God may be releasing them from the situation. There are many instances in the Bible where godly people are surrounded by ungodly people, and they are living their lives just for first and foremost, I want us to notice that God allows these circumstances. We sometimes find ourselves in a place or in a nation surrounded by ungodliness. Do not fret. God is still in control. There's a quote that I love and I find it to be true. The will of God will not take you provision may come in different ways. It may look different than what we expect or think, or it may look different than what we think it should look like. But nonetheless, his provision will come. There are several stories in the Bible that I just love, where in God's providence, godly people found themselves in difficult situations or places surrounded by ungodly people. Many of us know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's one of my favorite the fiery furnace, or Daniel in the lion's den. We know that Daniel, along with these three young men, were carried off as slaves to Babylon, along with many others. Why did this happen, first and foremost? Let's get into this most exciting story for a little while. Why don't we? Why were God's people in captivity by a king named Nebuchadnezzar? Sin, disobedience, that's right happened because God's people turned away from him, and as a result of their sin, they were delivered into the hand of their enemy. God's judgment and discipline came as the prophet Isaiah had prophesied. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to show his full control over Judah, so he took the finest young men to be his slaves. The king wanted them to be trained up in their ways. He wanted these young Hebrew men to look like them, speak like them think like them, act like them. Sound familiar? Now, none of this went against God's commands, learning another language, learning another culture, and so they humbly submitted to what was being asked of them because none of it compromised who they were inside. These four young men were surrounded and were immersed in a culture that went against God, and although they were living in that culture, that culture never became a part of them. Inside, they remained who they were before they arrived, God-fearing, uncompromising young men. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to to be defiled, and so they abstained from eating food that had been sacrificed and worshipped to other gods. They refused the wine, the fruit of the godless, and chose instead to eat vegetables and drink water, and trusting God will be their portion, both spiritually and physically. Because of this, we read in Daniel chapter 1 that in every matter of wisdom and understanding, the king found them to be ten times better than all the other magicians and enchanters of his kingdom. Let me just take a moment to say that you are never losing or missing out when you reject what this world has to offer for what God has to offer. Let me say that again. You are never Missing out or losing out when you refuse what this world has to offer and you accept what God has to offer. The devil may entice you with many worldly things that may seem out of this world. I'm sure the food at the king's table was full of the best cut meats and the best types of foods cooked to perfection. I'm sure his wine would have been award-winning wines, but it paled in comparison to what God gave these four young men. He gave them divine strength to endure and persevere through the tempting delicacies that would only defile them. He gave them divine wisdom, divine revelation, and divine favor, which situated them above every other person in the kingdom. In the natural, it may have looked like these four young men exchanging that which was temporary for that which is eternal. They were exchanging worldly pleasures for divine gifts. And because of this, God was exalted and glorified through their lives. But then the time of testing came for these four young men. If you thought phase one was likes to be tested here? You like your your, your faith to be tested? Nobody? Uh, nobody's raising their hands. <laughs> <laughs> the time came when the king decided to make a big golden image, which he wanted all peoples and all nations of all languages to bow down and worship. Now, if you thought Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a lot to lose before, it was nothing in comparison to now. You see, now they had respect now they had position. Now they had favor with the king. Not only this, but this king was their authority, and if this authority was not obeyed, they knew they would stand to lose more than just position and respect, but they could lose their very lives. It wasn't just their jobs, it wasn't wasn't just their homes, it wasn't just their possessions they would be losing. Their physical safety was now in jeopardy. But again, they understood and Looked at their lives and their circumstances through the eyes of God and not through the eyes of man. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Let's read together to see what happens when they refuse to bow the knee to this golden image. Let's look at Daniel chapter 3 starting in verse 3. and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and when... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped in amazement and exclaimed to his his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. I love how they just walking in and around and stepping around the fire, don't you? That gets me excited. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They did not even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. even as they were being thrown into the fire. There are so many other stories of faithful men and women who did not allow others to intimidate them into compromising their faith and bowing to others, whether rulers, kings, or gods. Just a few chapters later, Daniel also does not bend the knee. Let's look at this story briefly. I know we're coming to an end chapters later, a couple of kings later, Daniel is still serving faithfully and proving himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers in the kingdom. And due to this, the new king wants to appoint Daniel over his entire empire. But this sparks envy and jealousy among the high officers. So they begin to search for a way to find fault in of course, they find none because Daniel fears God and he obeys his commands. Daniel serves God faithfully, therefore he serves those on earth faithfully. Do you see that? Because he serves God faithfully, he serves in his secular job faithfully. The same way he shows up for God, he shows up for work. They could find no fault in him. Now, here's the amazing part. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 4, turn with me and let's read it together. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way of Daniel, in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn because he was faithful. He was always responsible and completely trustworthy. So they concluded. Our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Daniel served God faithfully, and they knew that he would never compromise his faith. I wonder when people look at our lives, would they say the same about us? So the administrators and the officers, they set up a plan. They appeal to the king's pride. Oh, how easy is it to appeal to a king's pride? And successfully have him make up a new law that says for 30 days any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except for him, will be thrown into the den of lions. They knew Daniel's faithfulness to his God so well. The only way they could make him fall was by making a law that would prohibit him from praying to his God. Brothers sisters. there are many who live now every day risking their lives knowing full well if they are caught worshiping the living God, they will be put in prison or worse, be put to death. The day has come when even here in the United States of America, the land of the free, that we have been told that we must close our church doors and that we may not worship our God. If you think that the devil is satisfied with are gravely mistaken it is the plan of the enemy and it is his spirit that is behind the driving force in the attempt of closing and destroying the church of god in this country and he will create and use anything to stop us from worshiping god he will create a pandemic he will create fear he will use social causes evil events government leaders our peers our friends our very own families for we know, the word of God says what? That our our battle is not against who? It's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, right? The principalities of, the, of this world. Brothers and sisters, we need to remember that when we feel the urge to fight a brother or sister or a leader or anyone else, remember they are not the enemy. They are being used by the enemy. Our, our battle is against the enemy. The principalities, the spiritual forces, and we need to remember that. The devil does not care. He shows no partiality. He will use any person, any event, any disease to bring division and destruction to the holy people of God. Oh, but that we would be like Daniel. Let's quickly see what Daniel does in response to the law. Who wants to see how Daniel responds? Let's read in chapter 6, verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just sing it with me, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. The law did not stop Daniel from praying to his God. Oh, there's so many things I wish we could go into that we can learn from Daniel's story, but we just don't have the time. But the bottom line is Daniel did not compromise. Moreover, the very law that was put in place to destroy Daniel, God turned for the destruction of his enemies instead. Do you want to see how? Let's read verse 13. Then they told the king that man Daniel, One of the captives from Judah is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. You see, he didn't think about his most beloved um, officer and worker, Daniel. He forgot all about that. Pride often makes us forget about all the godly blessings that we have. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king's signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve, faithfully," rescue you oh my gosh even even the ungodly having faith in god a stone was brought in placed over the mouth of the dead the king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles, so that no one could rescue daniel then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting he refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night very early the next morning the king got up and hurried out to the when, we got, when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lions' mouths so they would not hurt me, for I have found, have been found innocent in his sight. I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed, and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den. Along with their wives and children, the lions leaped and on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Then King Darius sent this message to all the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I declare that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his. Performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Again, we see how God is lifted high and glorified with the uncompromising faith of a man. His fear of God was greater than his fear of man. He knew the law of God was greater than the law of man. And he feared the repercussion of going against God. go lived through amazing miracles of God. They saw God come through in powerful and amazing ways and witnessed God being lifted up by kings and nations because they were willing to go into the fire. Daniel lived through the amazing miracles of God because he was willing to go into the lion's den and he saw God come Beyond these, there are so many more. Esther saw the hand of God, not just for her, but for her entire nation, when she was willing to go in the king's presence, unsummit, risking her life. Elijah saw the, the, the fire fall down from heaven because he was willing to step forward and even alone. When his people, the people of God, remained back in silent, not acknowledging Yahweh as their God, Oh, that we would have time to speak of Elijah. to the prophet to speak to his people in 1 Kings 18. You know what he said? God said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. And I believe this is what God is asking too many of his people who are wavering between different opinions. They have one foot in and one foot out. They are on the fence. The distractions, the pleasures of this, the pleasures of In uh. him. <laughs> Many of us know here that his promises are true, that his promises are yes. stood before 450 prophets of Baal. You know that it was 1 to 450. Elijah was the only prophet standing in that place. There were others that he did not know, but he was standing on that mountain, Mount Carmel. He was the only one representing God. And there were 450 other prophets from other gods. And the whole nation of There and he stood alone for God, but he didn't just stand alone and call fire down from heaven. You have to read the story because it's amazing. He didn't just stand, the Bible says that he stepped forward, he stepped forward and declared who God was, and because he stepped forward and declared who. challenge you if you could raise your feet. Will you stand forward and declare that God is your God and allow him that no matter where he sends you, if he sends you to the fire, he will be in it with you. If he sends you to the lions, then he will shut the mouths of the lions. If he sends you before someone who